Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so, best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Hello, and welcome back to The Cosmic Companion. This week, Astronomy News with The Cosmic Companion offers a special episode on Comet Atlas, which could soon become the greatest comet seen from the Northern Hemisphere in over two decades. The comet, discovered by an observatory designed to protect Earth from asteroids, may even be visible during the day at the end of May. Also known as C-2019Y4, this comet was first seen by asteroids at the Asteroid Terrestrial Impact Last Alert System, or ATLAS, in Hawaii during December 2019. At the time, the comet was exceedingly dim, but this comet grew 4,000 times brighter in only a month. This increase is far greater than astronomers have predicted, and it could potentially signal that comet may soon be exceptionally bright. Comets are essentially dirty snowballs. As the comet approaches the sun, the heat will drive off some of the ice which makes up the nucleus, or the main body of the object. If the comet holds its shape as it continues to heat, then Comet Atlas could grow as bright as the planet Venus, which is the brightest object in the night sky other than the moon. At the end of May, Comet Atlas will make its closest approach to the sun. Now, how the comet reacts to this tremendous heating that it will experience will determine how bright Comet Atlas will appear to observers here on Earth. One promising characteristic is that the comet, which passed the orbit of Mars in March, is closely following the path taken by one of the greatest comets in history, the Great Comet of 1844. At the end of March, the comet is visible using binoculars to observers anywhere under the northern hemisphere skies away from city lights and down to about 22 degrees south of the equator. Throughout the entire time the comet is visible, it will never set as seen from the northern hemisphere, shining in the region of the sky not too far from the north star. 
At its current rate of brightening, Comet Atlas could become visible to the naked eye under dark skies during the first weeks of April. For sky watchers in the Northern Hemisphere, this would be a sight unseen since the dual shows of Comet Yakitake in 1996 and hale the following year. When Yakitake was at its peak, the tail of the comet stretched halfway across the sky. In May, Comet Atlas could shine with a green hue, providing a unique view for viewers in the Northern Hemisphere. The brightest predictions for the comet suggest it could even become brilliant enough to be seen during the day. The peak brightness of Comet Atlas would depend largely on how much material is encased within its nucleus. If the comet is sizable and it does not fall apart as it is heated by the sun, it could put on an amazing show in May. When it was first spotted on December 28th, the comet was 439 million kilometers, or 273 million miles, from the Sun. At its closest approach, Comet Atlas will come within 37.8 million kilometers, or about 23.5 million miles, of our parent star. The comet is brightening at nearly an unprecedented rate, and by March 17th, it was already 6 times brighter than predicted. The path traveled by Comet Atlas, the same as that taken by the Great Comet of 1844, suggests that each of these bodies, and potentially others, may have broken off of an ancient mega-comet long ago. The Great Comet of 1844 was first seen by observers at the Cape of Good Hope on December 18th of that year, and was visible without the aid of a telescope through January 1845. Several comets astronomers thought were destined for greatness, however, failed to live up to their potential. In 2013, comet Panstars became as bright as Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, but it was positioned low on the horizon as seen in the Northern Hemisphere, making it difficult for people to see. The last two bright comets, McNaught in 2007 and Lovejoy in 2011, were only visible from the Southern Hemisphere. In 1974, many astronomers believed that Comet Kohotek would light up the night sky, but it failed to deliver. Similar expectations were dashed by comets Austin in 1990 and Ison in 2013. Even if Comet Atlas fails to live up to its potential, or shatters as it approaches the sun, the display could still make for an interesting show. Several spacecraft, including NASA's stereo spacecraft with its heliospheric imager, will be well positioned in May and June to record the development of the tail and we'll see the breakup of the comet if it occurs. If Comet Atlas fails to live up to its potential, 
It will be a long time before we see it again. Once it heads back out to the outer solar system, it will not return for another 6,000 years. This week on Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, we welcome Dr. Joe Burchett of the University of California, Santa Cruz, who has recently uh, developed a new study uh, looking at how ribbons of gas between galaxies uh, could be studied by looking at uh, humble slime mold. So welcome to the show, Dr. Burchett. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you. So for those of us who don't know uh, exactly what are uh, these galactic ribbons of the cosmic web and how do they form? Yeah, so um, so the cosmic web is, is sort of the organizing structure of the universe on the very largest scales. Um, when astronomers go out and, and, and take big surveys of galaxies uh, to map their locations, um, not only their locations on the sky, um, but by measuring uh, their redshifts, we can get an idea of how far away they are from us. And um, so in a 3D sense, the cosmic web is, is, is really where it's sort of galaxies themselves are, are organized, as I said, on the very largest scales in the universe. Um, in one of these maps of, uh, of the galaxy surveys, uh, done in the way I just, I just mentioned, um, you can sort of get a sense of this organizational structure. Um, galaxies are, are very clearly uh, organized along sort of linear structures uh, that we call filaments. Um, mm -hmm. And this network of, of filaments and the nodes where they connect and the voids um, that lie between them, um, these are this collectively we call the cosmic web. Super. So, and okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, so, uh, so the cosmic web, um, is, it, it's, it, sort of, its, its existence is, is hinted at by the locations of galaxies, um, but it's a, it's a robust theoretical prediction of, you know, our cosmological models, um, and the cosmological models that, you know, we, we think that most of the matter in the universe is dark matter. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we know the universe, um, is expanding and has been expanding. Um, and so uh, when we put in sort of the key ingredients of what we know about cosmology and the evolution of the universe, uh, these uh, filamentary structures of the cosmic web that form where uh, in the very early universe you just have little areas of um, density enhancement, as the universe evolves, these structures emerge. And, and it's a, as I said, it's a, it's a pretty generic prediction of uh, the cosmological theory. And what inspired you to use mold to study these huge structures? <laughs> so I've been working on uh, a project uh, that's um, it's a Hubble Space Telescope-funded uh, archival research program. And uh, the goal of this study is to, is to, is to look at the large-scale distribution of gas in the cosmic web. Mm -hmm. um, using uh, Hubble Space Telescope uh, uh, spectra for this instrument called the Cosmic Origin Spectrograph. And we, what we do is we take, um, we take spectra of quasars in the distant universe that serve as light bulbs that shine through the cosmic web structure in the foreground. And the gas 
in uh, the cosmic web leaves its imprint uh, as, as, as absorption. So it essentially takes light away from that background um, light bulb. So this is sort of the project uh, I've been working on uh, for a while now. And um, a key part of, of this project is to, is, you know, the, the very simple question, well, where are the filaments? And, you know, where is the cosmic web? I, I have this, um, you know, my, my sample of galaxies and, and you know, when I, uh, when I plot them up uh, on my computer screen, I see, okay, well, yeah, it looks like there's a, there's a filament there. But really uh, having a reproducible uh, means by which we can take those galaxy locations, take those galaxy data, and uh, estimate, you know, where the cosmic web is, um, this is a problem that has been, um, that many researchers have been working on now for uh, for a while, um, and different people have 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 employed different methods. Um, you know, geometrical constructions um, using sort of a three D density field to um, just you know ask, for example, okay, there's a galaxy here. How many neighbors does it have? Um, mm -hmm. and how close is its nearest neighbor? Um, and you know, different ways of sort of trying to, to quantify the environment. Um, but none of those methods was really, uh, was, was really applicable for this problem of you know, using um, the Hubble data in this way because we need to know the locations of these filaments far away from the galaxies that trace them. So you can imagine if you've got, um, if you've got like a, 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 an interstate highway, and you got, mm -hmm. if you just saw all the major cities in the United States, um, you could see where, okay, if I were to try to connect all of those cities by a road system, um, you could sort of see how this, um, how this network would, 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 would play out. Um, but actually, actually taking all of the, uh, taking all of those data and um, actually producing such a network, designing such a network, is, is not so straightforward. <laughs> there are a lot of other <laughs> considerations. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so this uh, slime mold algorithm, how we came to this is we were just trying to visualize, okay, well, um, we can use any of these, uh, these uh, um, methods that had come before. They don't quite, they're not exactly what they need, what we need. Um, but maybe we could could modify uh, could modify one of these pre-existing methodologies and, and sort of make it work for us. Well, um, the the sort of eye-opening um, moment uh, came when uh, Oscar Ellick, who is my collaborator, he is uh, he has a background in um, computer graphics rendering, um, and he actually works uh, in the computational media uh, department um, as a postdoc. Uh, and he he is, is sort of I knew that from a visualization standpoint, um, if anybody would know how to do this, he would. Um, and he suggested this slime mold inspired methodology because a um, he had seen this artwork uh, that where an artist had a digital media artist had used. Um, an algorithm that models the growth and movement of slime mold, he, um, he was essentially producing these original art pieces that were sort of evolving, right? You can go, you can um, see the, the, the piece evolve in structure form, right? Uh, and so 
he's like, well, you know, our filaments that uh, are supposed to be in the cosmic web look a lot like the network that slime mold forms. Right. And um, so this, I was a little skeptical at first, but uh, Oscar uh, went home and, and coded up this algorithm in three dimensions so that it would take just the data set that we had. And um, we employed the algorithm on the data set, and the results were just astonishing. Um, this cosmic web filamentary structure emerged um, very quickly. And furthermore, uh, the, the filaments that you know, we could see produced by this slime mold algorithm um, very much sort of matched what just you can intuit by looking at the galaxy locations. And so the rest is kind of history. We, we as being scientists, wanted to test this method, wanted to make sure it was robust um, to, you know, these cosmological theory where we know uh, where the where the, the, the cosmic web filaments should be. Um, and, um, and, yeah, so this enabled us to essentially map out the cosmic web, and then we knew where to look with the background uh, quasars from the Hubble Space Telescope. Right. Now, when I look at maps, you know, maps of the cosmic web, when I look at the slime mold, um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is fractals. Um, right, right. You now, do fractals play into this? The, um, you know, there's such similar uh, structure at the small scale. You know, the, the structure at the small scale is so similar to structure at the large scale. Um, how much does the similarity between those two disparate um, studies, uh, how much do, you know, do, does fractalization play into that? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, uh, and something that, that we thought about, Oscar was thinking about this uh, in a more rigorously mathematical way uh, right now. Um, but, yeah, so my answer to that would be um, there are – very fractal-like features of um, the cosmic web. There are certainly fractal-like creature, uh, creatures, <laughs> fractal-like <laughs> features. Um, and so, it, in, in a way, it's it's that's kind of why the algorithm works so well. You know, it's it, it has the ability to produce um, structure on large scale and similar structures on smaller and smaller scales. Um, I would fall. Uh, I would come a little short of of asserting that the cosmic web itself is a fractal um, in the purely mathematical sense, because you know we do know that there sort of is, um, you know, a, a large uh, there's a scale on which, um, you know, that going to the, the the larger scales where you know we believe that you know superclusters and 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 clusters that form at the nodes of galaxies and the the, the you know, huge filaments that connect them are sort of maybe set kind of an upper scale. Um, mm -hmm. But then on the smallest scale, we also know that you know, galaxies, uh, galaxy form, and within galaxies, and gas clouds collapse to form stars. Um, and the filamentary structure kind of breaks down on the smaller scales um, as well. But those are many, 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 many orders of magnitude right. apart. So, so yeah, so it's, it's very fractal-like, um, you know, over a large, um, over a large range of, of physical scales for sure.
Right, and this same slime mold uh, has been used to study traffic patterns, to solve mazes, even to develop crowd evacuation plans. So, how can you, how do you see using this similar technique uh, for future research in astronomy and astrophysics? Yeah, so I'm, I'm um, incredibly excited. Uh, it was this initial study that uh, that we've done. Um, you know, as I said, this kind of we got down, started heading down this path uh, from one project, but uh, really this has developed an entire framework of how we can characterize the cosmic web from galaxy surveys. So, um, one study that that I am uh, uh, since published this paper, is to actually look at the the dependence of galaxies and their evolution on where they live in the cosmic web. Um, because this the slime mold methodology essentially gives us a, a, a detailed picture of what the cosmic web structure is like, and so we can say, okay, well. Galaxies, we've known for a long time that galaxies that live in denser environments um, tend to not be forming new stars. They uh, have their, they haven't formed stars in, a, in apparently a really long time. Whereas those galaxies that live in, um, you know, in sort of sparser environments, um, I like to say, you know, out in the boondocks of the universe, uh, those galaxies tend to be forming stars um, much more readily. And so, you know, a galaxy's environment really has everything to do with uh, with its evolution. And so, um, this methodology is going to give us a path forward to study that relationship in greater detail than we ever have before. Super. Is there anything else that you that people should know about about your study? Yeah, as, as I was saying, you know, this is really only the beginning. Um, and you know this is really the result of, of an interdisciplinary collaboration. Um, you know, me from the astrophysics side, um, Oscar Ellick and Angus Forbes uh, from the um, from the computer science uh, human computer interaction side, um, and uh, we have a team of other uh, astrophysicists as well. Um, uh, Todd Tripp, Xavier Petrasca, Nicholas Palos. And so, uh, so you know, this is this is really a team that 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 interdisciplinary from the very start by design, and I'm really encouraged about uh, where this has led and the potential for you know such kind of of, of heterogeneous collaborations moving forward. And um, you know, you haven't seen the, the end of the slime mold yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Burchett, and. Um... We'd love to have you on the show again sometime. So, Thank you very much. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of The Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube or on any major podcast provider. We also have a new page for updates specifically about Comet Atlas at cometatlas.info. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit the Cosmic Companion. Mm-hmm.